My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back to the Let Nothing Move You podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ashley, and if you can't tell by the sound of my voice, I am not doing so well right now. I almost said not so hot, but I do feel a little hot right now, and that's part of the problem. <laughs> uh, graciously, it's not as bad as it could be. I uh, just got a gunk from somewhere, a cold and allergies on everything just conspiring against me. Uh, just to make sure that I feel as miserable as possible right now. And the moment I sit down, my nostrils, you know, just decide to fill up with fluid. You know, it's just a wonderful thing. I, I love having allergies. I love getting the worst aspects of both of my parents. <laughs> uh, shout out to genetics for making me feel this miserable right now. <clears throat> so I apologize if I cough a little bit through this. Uh, just get get a little to the point where, like, I don't sound as uh, coherent as I normally am. It's just because I'm on medicine right now. I'm not feeling my best. But if I didn't do this right now, it wouldn't get done. And I'm committed with one of the things I said to myself. I don't know if I shared this before on the show. It's like, if I'm going to do this, I have to do this every week. Unless there has to be something catastrophic that prevents me from recording. Uh, So here we go. So uh, probably not going to be the most popular episode I've ever done, even though I really do enjoy this chapter of Genesis. So if this is just something that you can't handle, you don't like hearing me like this, and you just want to just shut things off, I don't blame you. Like, you know, go in peace. But for the rest of you that are staying, thank you very much for listening. And once again, I apologize for how I sound, but I'm going to get through this. We're going to get through this. And to prove that, you and I, Uh, We're going to be going into the book of Genesis. We'll be in chapter 16. Uh, We're going to start with verses 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she uh, looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Uh, One other thing I forgot to mention before we get going is that uh, I don't have my notes for this. I somehow had the file revert to its very beginning form, where I just kind of had the barest hints of an outline for what I want to do with this, and I fleshed it out later on during the week as I'm reading this and meditating on the chapter. <clears throat> so I'm just kind of winging it today. So <laughs> who knows how this is going to be? Maybe this is the one that just people just love for just how incoherent and messy and sloppy it is. And maybe this actually turns out well. Maybe I'm just being a little bit of a Debbie Downer. Uh, so just just uh, peek behind the curtain. I want to be as open and honest as possible with you all listening. It's like, look, this is where I'm at. 
So if it sounds disjointed, does it sound like all my thoughts are collected? Well, that's because they were, but I no longer have access to them. <laughs> hey, technology grand. So uh, dealing with the chapter proper, we start off with an unknown amount of time in between Genesis 15 and 16. And in 15, as we went over before, God had promised Abram, like, look, I know you're getting a little skittish about this. I know you're getting worried, but I am going to give you a son. I am going to give you descendants. They're going to be countless. There's no way people can do anything to harm them to prevent them from succeeding in the way that I have plans for them. You got to trust me. And he made a covenant with Abram, a physical one at that, that should have told Abram just how much God was serious about this. But Abram, like you and I, is just a human being. And what do human beings do? We get scared. We lose confidence. We get to the point where we go, did God really say that he was going to bless me? Did God really say that he's got this, uh, that you know, I- I'm his and that he's got me in his hands and he's going to protect me from harm? Uh, and even if he doesn't, like he's still God, like that is a very natural place to be in. In the midst of misery, it's very difficult, or in the midst of disappointment at that too, to be unable to see God because our thoughts are focused elsewhere. And for Abram, as you know, most families want to do, most families want to have children, and there are plenty of families out there who just aren't able to do that, so they'll adopt or something like that. But for Abram, it was just so important to have a son, to uh, have a legacy, and especially back in the day, it means a lot more than it does now. If this were not to happen, that side of uh, Abram's family would be eradicated. There would be no one to continue the line. And for them, that was such a very important thing that they needed to have that legacy. They needed to carry on the family name, to keep on going, for people to know that they were here, that they mattered, that they had substance in the world. And for Abram, he's about to give up on God's plan. And don't we do the exact same thing the moment adversity comes in, the moment something gets a little more difficult than we thought it would be, or we lose sight of the goal, and we think, oh, if I do this instead, God will be pleased with me. And when we know that's not the case, we know that's not what we should be doing. But we're short-sighted people, and that's just a part of being a human. It's a very, very temporal problem to have in that we can only see what's right in front of us. We can't see, oh, well, if I just wait seven more days, like God's going to deliver me from this. Like We don't have that luxury like he does, given that he does exist outside of time and space, as we can conceive of such a thing. So we get lost. So we get worried. So we have trouble figuring out, what am I supposed to be doing? What does God do? He's still there. But we, being human, being finite, and understanding the totality of his plans, what he promises to do, and when he's going to do them, start making our own plans instead. Now, there's nothing wrong with making plans inherently, unless you know they're running counter to what God has in mind. You know, maybe this was how God wanted Abram to have descendants. But No, it's supposed to be from Abram and Sarai, not Abram and Hagar, that is going to be the people that God is going to bless into becoming the Jewish people. But what does he do? He listens to bad advice because it's a very tempting offer. But before we get to him, let's go to Sarai real quick. 
Sarai is just like Abram, very old, way past what we would consider to be a childbearing age. But at this time in the world, it seems like it's still possible, still conceivable. Uh, no pun intended there. But it's gotten to the point for her, like they've had all this time together and she has not had a child. And that's just grating on her. It's like, see, seeing all these other women have children, having a legacy, having people that they can love and care for. It's not that she doesn't love Abram, doesn't love you know her servants or anyone else around her, but it's like she wants more. He wants more. And they're allowing that desire for a good thing become an idol. And for her, well, if I can't have the idol my way, I'm going to try it an alternate means here. So what does she do? We get introduced for the first time in the narrative to Hagar. Now, as was very much often the case back in the day, Hagar doesn't get much of a say in this issue. She gets fallen told to do what her masters say. Now, we're not really told immensely about you know where she was before all this, like um, who her family was, like what her wants and desires are. More than likely, Hagar was one of the servants gifted to Abram by Pharaoh after the events of, uh, was it chapter 12? Yes. Uh, after that debacle in Egypt. So chances are she is now living in a foreign land. She had no control of herself while she was in Egypt, more than likely as a servant. She was living at someone else's whims who just uh, just passed her along to someone else like cattle. And we look at that in the very modern sensibilities and go, well, that's awful. And I completely and utterly agree. But we also have to understand they didn't think of it that way. That doesn't make it right. It never makes it right for a cultural idea to encourage a sinful state. But we have to remember where we are here. For her, she has no voice. She has no ability to speak out for herself and to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Are you, are you crazy? Well, if she does that, chances are she might get left behind or she could have gotten beaten, whipped, or just left to die. Um so she has very little options here, and that's where she ends up. It's a, it's a terrible story overall. It's not, the, our heroes of the story are acting like very terrible people, and that's one of the reasons why I do appreciate the historical narrative of the Bible, because it shows, hey, there is a lot to be praised about these people. Like, uh, remember last chapter in a way that God describes Abram and how he's a righteous man, but a righteous man is still a man. And even if God had called Sarah a righteous woman, she would still be a woman. Like, both are capable of great good and great evil. And in this moment, they're perpetuating an evil by not listening to God and foisting their problems onto someone else who, yeah, sure, in the culture, typically, if you were a richer man and you had a wife, you could have a servant concubine or something like that, or the pharaohs and kings would have even more, like a harem or something like that. So... It was normal for them. Doesn't once again doesn't make it right, but we have to remember where we are in time and space. And this is uh, about four thousand years before our modern sensibilities come in mind. So to them, this is a normal thing. It is how things should be done, but it's not really how things should be done. But Hagar here, as I try and clear my nose, sorry there. What does she do? Well, as the servant, she submits to her master and. <laughs> It's a terrible story overall, but what does Abram get out of this? Oh, you mean there's a younger, hotter woman I can be with? Oh, what a tremendous thing for me to do. Oh, I'm so glad you thought about this idea, Sarai. And of course he's going to say yes to that. It's a boneheaded decision 
that a man not thinking clearly is going to say yes to because he gets to increase his amount of sexual partners. And in our current society, we go, yeah, man, you get what's yours, forgetting what God intends for marriage. And as things go along, and as we see throughout the biblical history, even someone like David, a man after God's own heart, has a harem of women in his palace that he devotes attention to in different ways instead of just devoting him to just one. And his lust is so great, he still goes after people, excuse me, women like Bathsheba, who are outside of his uh, retinue and takes her anyways, because he's insatiable. That's one of his shortcomings. This is one of Abram's shortcomings right here. And he's at the point where, of course, he's going to say yes to it. That doesn't, once again, doesn't make it right. We've got to be smarter than that. We've got to think through this. Like, there are a lot of points of failure here on all sides. Like, Sarai, even in the midst of her despair, even in the midst of feeling unworthy, should have realized this is a stupid plan. Because what's going to happen? Oh, she has a child instead. Oh, of course, Abram's going to get closer to Hagar because she's the mother of his child. Forgetting the fact that he's been with this woman for how long? With Sarai? And of course, jealousy and resentment is going to grow. And Abram should have been thinking, no, I'm the man. I love you, my wife. God has told me we are going to be the ones to have a child. I, I am going to resist temptation, and we're going to get this done. But here's the scenario. And here's what they do. They give in to it. And what happens? Well, apparently Hagar is just, unfortunately, uh, for the scenario, more fertile than Sarai. And the moment that happens... Resentment starts to build, pride starts to build, and the two clash because, oh no, who could have ever seen this happening except anyone who could have had a brain for a second in their head? So what does Sarai do? Instead of being, hey, the plan worked, oh no, the plan worked and I don't like the outcome. Hmm. Who does that sound like? It sounds like a bunch of us where we make our own plans and we get what we want, even knowing it's not what God desires for us to do. And then we get angry for the success that we've been given through that plan, knowing it's not good for us, knowing it's going to harm us. And it's harming her right now. Her self-esteem is already so low. This poor woman is going through tremendous stress, and she makes more of it because she comes up with a stupid idea that makes the situation even worse. So what happens after this? Oh, she makes it Abram's fault, which, granted, as I said earlier, part of it is his fault for not putting his foot down and saying, no, I am married to you and no one else. And if we add more women into the mix, it's just going to make things worse because I'm going to divide my attentions between you, as happens every single time a multiple marriage is mentioned in the Bible. That's why we are called to be with one woman as a man and a woman with one man. We cannot divide our attention. It is not fair to that other person. We would be serving two different masters in that scenario, and neither one is going to be pleased because you're going to be hanging out with one and liking more this about them and hanging out with another and liking this more about them, wishing, oh, well, why couldn't they just both be what I like? That's horrendous. That's terrible. And Abram just gives into it. And what does he do? He further just, oh, well, I'm not going to make a happy wife, happy life. <laughs> well, you should have been a lot happier if you'd never done this in the first place. And if you just denied her, maybe... That we don't know. Maybe we should have kept nagging. Hey, do this, do this, do this. And Abram, being very passive in this, allows it to happen and allows Sarai to mistreat her servant, which back in the day in ancient times you were allowed to do, depending on what part of the world you're in, because, hey, they're your property. You can do whatever you want to them. 
Once again, doesn't make it right, but that's how they thought of things. So Sarai says, no, I'm going to do whatever I want to her, and starts uh, belittling her and uh, whatever dealt harshly means. That could mean a lot of things. Could have mean she whipped her? Could have mean she beat her? Uh, could have meant she could have gone without food. And of course, Hagar gets upset and leaves, which is the only logical person in this scenario right now. So we'll continue from there, uh, as I'm glad that went on a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> I, was, I thought for sure this episode would only be like maybe 15 minutes long. <laughs> but apparently I, I talk even more without my notes. So that's lovely. And uh, the other thing too is I was going to do 16 and 17, but I decided, oh, It'll just be easier on me if I don't do all that and just go here instead for just 16. Oh, goodness gracious, why do I ever make plans? So we'll move on from there to verses uh, 7 through 12. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way, the Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Ishmael means God hears. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. It is in verse 7 that we are first introduced to the concept and the entity known as the angel of the Lord. There has been much written on this subject of who he is, what he does, what is his purpose? Is he God? Is he a pre-incarnate Christ? Is he some angel with higher authority like Michael or Gabriel or something like that? At the end of the day, the answer is we don't know. Uh, and I myself have flip-flopped on this multiple times. I, uh, I used to think it was just some really high archangel that was kind of like the voice of God when God himself, for whatever reason, decided not to show up on the earth. But in reading through other things as I've gone on in my walk through faith is I kind of see him more as a pre-incarnate Christ. And my reasoning for doing so is that I see the way he speaks with such authority. It sounds like God himself is speaking, like, like the angel of the Lord is saying, hey, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Who gave him that authority unless he is God? Or unless God has specially given this angel, if that is, he indeed is just an angel, the authority to say such a thing, and the power to do such a thing. But reading through the text, I don't see that. That's extra information that's not presented. Now, I originally had in my notes how many times we do see the angel of the Lord throughout Scripture, but I don't have them in front of me right now because, once again, they got reverted to an older save, and here we are, and I just didn't want to write my notes all over again. So unfortunately, I don't have them now. Then I'll have to remember the next time the angel of the Lord shows up that uh, to go through his uh, different appearances because we do see that God does appear in a human-like form to Abram in later chapters, uh, accompanied by angels, but neither one of them is called out as the angel of the Lord. And there are other cases like uh, we've got the commander of heaven's armies and Joshua, which may also be him. So... 
we'll get to that when we get to that. But for now, whoever the angel of the Lord is, and once again, I am saying it's more than likely a pre-incarnate Christ. And for those of you who don't know what that means, what is pre-incarnate? That is Jesus uh, as part of the Trinity descending into earth before his birth uh, in Bethlehem, you know, 2,000 years after this-ish, to do God's work in the world, to do his work in the world as part of the Trinity, fulfilling his part of the job while the Holy Spirit is doing something else and God is doing something else in this moment in time. Um, so a pre-incarnate Christ is a is a appearance of Jesus on the earth before his actual birth. And you know, some would say he's also the, the being that appears uh, when uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fire from Nebuchadnezzar trying to kill them, he's protecting them from the flames because uh, there's the appearance of one who's like a son of man or something like that. Um, so we'll get to that when we get to that. And I'm glad I did remember that because I do really love Daniel. It is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's got all things all over the place, but we'll get to Daniel <laughs> forever from now. So you'll have to wait several years from now to get my opinion on what's happening there. But for here, what he does is he brings comfort to someone who has no one on their side. By all accounts, Hagar should be dead, enslaved again, enslaved and worse things happening to her than have already happened, or murdered along the way. Or maybe she does end up some another town and just becomes a beggar and, oh, a, a beggar woman with a child. Chances are that child's not going to make it if it even the, the boy even su survives to when he should have been you know, brought into the world. So she has nothing, no options. But God doesn't give up on her. He sends the angel of the Lord to speak with her. And not only that, but to do the illogical thing and go back to where she was just running away from. That makes no sense from a human perspective. Like, she's treating me this harshly. I have no rights. I have no say. Why can't I go somewhere else? I, I'll take the desert and all this instead of being treated the way I was there. I'd rather die. But God, in his mercy, gives her a way out of this issue and goes above and beyond the call. He could have just brought her back, and that would have been sufficient. But he promises her that she is going to multiply her offspring, and they're going to be innumerable. And not only that, she's going to bear a son who is going to be someone important. And we'll get to who he potentially may be later on. So what are we to do with this information? Can we just say, well, God's just sending her back to her abusers and God loves abusers? No, that's not what's happening here. God knows where Hagar needs to be. He's not sending her so she can be mistreated again by Sarai. He's sending her back because she's going to be a lot safer there. And later on, we're going to see in Scripture where Abram does give part of his inheritance to Ishmael because he is still the firstborn son, even if he is not the firstborn son God intended for Abram to have for his legacy to be on the earth. It is much better for her to go back. Even though it doesn't feel like in that situation, there are going to be times in our lives when God says, I want you back in that situation you just left. When you said, I'm breaking off things. I need to go away. When he needs you to be in a situation where you don't feel safe, where you don't feel protected. Now, I, I don't think you're going to hear that a lot from your preachers on Sunday morning. Most are probably going to say, yep, yep, you get away, you be content, you stay safe, because uh, that's what God really wants you to do. But no, like, I mean, going back to, to Daniel, 
Like God never said to him, hey, I want you to throw yourself into the lion's den. But God still commanded them to pray and to love after him. And God protected him from that moment. And I forgot where I was going with that. Hold on. Let me think. Okay. So, but by doing those things, by praying to God, Daniel was putting himself in a stressful situation around abusive people who wanted his end when God could have clearly just told him, hey, run away. Go away somewhere else where you're safer. But he didn't. He commanded him uh, explicitly so. No, but Daniel, knowing where he was in life, needed to be where he was. And Daniel listened because the court of uh, Persia needed a godly man in their system watching over them. So he stayed in the midst of trouble. Jesus stayed in the midst of trouble multiple times over. He went in to he went into Jerusalem knowing he was going to die. When was the last time God told you to do that? <laughs> I'm hoping never. But if he does so, what is your answer going to be to him? What is my answer going to be to him? And God's not saying, oh, hey, I want you to go back and act like nothing ever happened. No. Hey, uh, Hagar deserves some respect here. She deserves to be treated well. And she is going to be, be treated a lot better than she was before because hopefully Abram grows a spine and treats her a lot better, recognizing his own moral failings here and the issues caused by this relationship that he never should have been engaged in in the first place. And Ishmael is going to grow up to be a strong young man who ends up leading and having a lot of descendants of a group of people who potentially could be modern Arabs today. Now, uh, disclaimer, I have not fully studied the Quran. I have read parts of the Quran. Uh, I gave up a while ago when I got back into seminary. I just didn't have the time devoted to like – reading uh, the Quran, looking through the study notes, because I did find a Quran with some really good study notes. Uh, I wish I had it with me because it's actually in Louisville right now. So I could show you, hey, it's written by this, and pretty smart people are behind, like, hey, this is what this passage means, so on and so forth. Um, but one of the things that is claimed uh, by Muhammad is that the uh, Arab people, uh, especially people who would end up becoming Muslims, are descendants of Ishmael. Now, as far as genetics are concerned, who knows? Because as far as I'm aware of, we don't have a genetic sample of uh, any of Ishmael's DNA. But they do take this as prophecy, which it is prophecy, leading up to the rise of Islam and the people who would be in that religion who were primarily Arabic. So... Uh, and they do track some of their legacy, their genealogies, if I remember correctly, back all the way to Ishmael. So is that true? I don't know. But if it is, and I kind of lean to it is, that has massive ramifications for what is currently happening right now in Israel, in Palestine. And God saw it happening beforehand because, well, who do you expect to know things but him? And what happens as a result of this? Something that never should have happened. If this is true, if Ishmael is the uh, ancestor of um, Palestinians, Arabians, so on and so forth, that has brought us to our current situation in the Middle East of two people groups who despise one another are essentially, if this is true, prophesied to be fighting against one another to uh, was one trying to claim a birthright that was never theirs to begin with. 
and the other who has that birthright but is rejecting it because they don't follow and love Jesus Christ. It's a tremendous situation if that is true. I'm not here to say that it is. Once again, I do lean towards it being yes, but I can't prove that. Uh, I would need a lot more definitive proof, uh, you know, genetically and so on and so forth before I went out and said, this is exactly what's happening right here now. But it does seem to suggest in scripture, this is what's happening. And if we can trust what Muhammad did write down in parts of, I can't remember if he did write that in the Quran or not. This would have also been part of my notes because I know I did research this more. <laughs> so sorry that I don't have that in front of me. But even if that's so, God promises to bless a people that he knows are going to be enemies of Israel. Like forgetting what is happening right now in the current conflict, the Ishmaelites and the Israelites are going to fight later on, multiple times. They're going, Ishmaelites are going to raid in the Israelite territory. They're going to fight back. They're going to end up being uh, multiple times over, slaughtered by each other's side. And there's just a lot of enmity there that shouldn't have existed, much like when we do get into, I think it's yeah, Genesis 19, uh, we're going to find two other nations that fought Israel should never have existed either. And if certain things hadn't been done, they wouldn't have been there. So we'll get there when we get there. And I'm, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't be saying this, but I, I'm way beyond where I thought I would be. I thought, yeah, sure, this would be a shorter episode. It'll be easier on my voice. But nope, knowing me, I should know better. I just can't shut up to save my life. So here we are, and we're going to finish today by reading verses 13 through 16, and I'll give my voice some rest. And this way you guys won't have to hear me being so awful right now with, uh, I hate hearing my son of my voice right now. I always hated that, but it's even worse right now. So verse 13. So she, Hagar, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. And uh, that means the well of the living one who sees me. It, li- excuse me, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. It's chapters like this that make me fully appreciate the historicity of and the the truthfulness of the Bible. This chapter, if you are the Jewish people, and you're saying we're all descended from this guy named Abram, eventually Abraham, wouldn't you want that person to be seen as like the pinnacle of humanity, to be a God-fearing man who did no wrong, and we're descended from him? Yeah, we're screwed, so we started from a really good place. But no, this is telling real events that happen in history of people who were people. And it's kind of the same arguments that are brought up by other scholars for the gospels being true. It's showing the disciples as idiots and utter morons who didn't understand the words of Jesus until after his death to show, hey, if I'm starting a religion, I don't want to be seen like a moron. I don't want to be seen like, yep, I got it from the beginning. I'm the smartest person in the room. You should listen to me, 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 me. But no, this is the exact opposite. I mean, even as we see Moses write the other books here, he is not portrayed always in a positive light, in something he himself had to write down, and that's if you believe Moses did, which I do. And what we see here is the story of two idiots enforcing their views onto someone else who had no say, 
and yet God enriching the lives of everyone involved despite that. It makes no sense. If this were some morality tale, the ending would be different. Hagar would have run away and been found by some prince and became a member of his entourage, and Ishmael would have become the king in, uh, after the original king had died or something, or you know, something fanciful like that. But that's not what happens. She doesn't get a fairy tale ending, but she gets an ending through this. One where she does end up better than she was before, but not in a way anyone would ever expect if you're writing down this story. Unless the events of the story are true, and that's what actually happened. So here, Hagar, we don't really get much of a sense of her before this. Like, maybe uh, she was forced to worship God as part of you know Abr Abram's uh, entourage, or maybe he never forced him to, and maybe it was just a thing Abram and Sarai did. But it seems she has enough of a knowledge about him that she praises him and notes how much he is looking after her. And that's tremendous in a situation where it would be so easy to say, you're the one who put me in this in the first place. It's because of your prophecies that Abram did what he did to me, and Sarai did what she did to me. And that never would have happened if you had never opened your mouth, God. But she doesn't say that. Instead, she realizes the grace that has been extended to her and praises him. Not only that, but also names a location after the events and a personhood of God who came to save her. And not only that, she gets to have her son and get to the point where that son is cared for. He is looked after. He is loved. Now, obviously, there's still going to be resentment between her and Sarai. And I can't remember or not. Um, I don't think we're told anymore of Sarai mistreating her, but I'm more than certain that it happened again. Just not nearly as bad as it did to make her want to flee. But that's the story of people. That's the story of us, of how we got here today, of people being imperfect beings, screwing up and God working it all to his purpose despite us. And that's where we end off today. So as uh, my nostrils start filling up even more, and I'm sure you're all really happy to hear me say that, <laughs> I'm going to end things here. And well, that was really good. Uh, before I pat myself on the back here, um, that, that turned out a lot better than I expected. So thank you all for listening. If you just get a chance, just leave a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice uh, just to help us with the ratings, help us find more people to get them interested in the show. Uh, I have seen a little bit of an uptick. I'm not going to say the numbers are the most impressive thing in the world, but uh, more so than I uh, imagine being at this point in time. I'll put it that way. If you're interested in my fiction writing, you can find my words at starvingwritersguild.com or on Amazon by uh, looking at the name Christian Ashley, excuse me, MC Ashley. If you're all interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, then check out the other members of the Anazal Ministries Podcasting Network. You can contact me at, uh, the, excuse me, at letnothingmoviepodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to extend a special thank you. Ah, extend. Can I speak nearly in here? Extend a special thank you to Joshua Knoll for the editing that he does and for the music that he adds to the podcast. And with all that in mind, God bless you all in accordance to his will and not mine. Allow me one more time to remind you, let nothing move you. Hey guys, are you interested in podcasting but don't know where to go? Well, check out Zencaster.com and go ahead and make an account there and use special promo code Let Nothing Move You, all caps. That way you can get 30% off of your next deal to go ahead and set things up so you can figure out how to edit stuff using Zencaster.com to host your stuff. 
to get things done there. So check out Zencaster.com. Use special promo code, let nothing move you. All right, see ya.